Awesome to see you guys this morning. Welcome. My name's Tony. I have the privilege of serving here as pastor. And uh, if you're new or visiting or checking us out, this is how we intended it, the stage to be this Sunday. Just kidding. We were hoping that the stairs would be done. Uh, So we're just inviting people not to come up and down. Uh, So if you need to go around, go around. Uh, Welcome. We're excited to have you. It is really nice to be able to walk up right here. Um, before I was, I was trapped in this little island. Now I'm free to move forward. Uh, so it's good to see you. So this Sunday, uh, if you're a kid and you would like to hang out with other, other kids, learn what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus with other kids, Miss Jeannie uh, and Miss Kelly are over there. Feel free to go hang out with them. If you're an adult and that sounds more fun, feel free. John. So I want to welcome you this morning. We're, we've been traveling through the Gospel of John for a while, and we're going to take a break this Sunday to lean in, to look back on what God has done in this place over the last two years. Now, if you don't know, we did a replant in this place just over two years ago. What that means is, imagine a church uh, that is in need of some help. And you basically do a church plant or a full restart within an existing body. That is what we did two years ago. And we have watched God perform miracle after miracle. We have seen the resurrection power of the spirit of Jesus at work in this place. It has been unbelievable. And what we're going to do today is something profoundly biblical. We are going to remember Right, if you read through the scriptures, what you'll see all the time is like, oh yeah, and remember when I set you free from Egypt. Right? Remember, look back. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look back and we're going to take a little bit of time towards the end to look forward. Now, if you're new, visiting, checking us out, I hope this gives you some sense of who we are and what we care about uh, and where we're at. Uh, and hopefully also where we're going and who we hope to be. Now, this process, had a, almost a week on July 16th, 2017, so about a, almost a week ago, two years ago. Now, the process started a little bit before that, so I want to actually invite, invite Paul Davis uh, up here to share a little bit about that process. If you could give him a round of applause. Just be careful of that. You got it? If you want to sit, got a chair. You can be in the hot seat. There you go. I should probably have a hot stool. Um, that way, here, I'll get a chair too. That way we're on the same level. All right. So basically, the way I understand the story is this. So you had gotten to a place at the church where it felt like we might have to close our doors, right? Really struggling. You're trying to figure out what to ha- what's going to happen And then out of nowhere, well, in God's plan, I guess, and provision, uh, a local pastor at Carmel Prez uh, named Rick Duncan gives you a call. He feels led to call you guys and say, hey, God in prayer said I should give you guys a call and see if I could help out. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Good morning. Is this on? Should be on. Are we good? Yeah. Uh, maybe I should go back a year before that. Sure, or, feel free. Or, or three years ago. We or were 55. We were in a position where... <laughs> You've been here a while, yeah. Yeah. 
About three years ago, we were in a position where we were in major conflict over the direction of the worship service. And also, I think the direction that the pastor really was a spiritual leader to make certain decisions. And that caused a lot of division. And okay. pe people left. And then we went through a mission study and about three years ago. At the end of that mission study, we came to a position where we said enough is enough. We are not going to tolerate conflict. We are going to move ahead with a new mission statement and a new purpose yeah. to honor God and be unified in one. And it was after that we had come to that position and we were ready then to start looking for a pastor, not, yeah. not knowing how we were going to do that, yeah. that Rick gave me the call. That's cool. So. The way I understand the story is Rick calls, and then you're like, but I have no idea how to do this process. How would we even do this? How do you imagine that? In church planting circles, they say it's easier to have a baby than raise the dead, meaning it's easier to start a new church <laughs> yes. than try and turn one around. It's like, that's like normal conversation in church planting world. So it's like, how do we even do that here? Um, and then Mike Murphy enters the scene. He, Rick knows him. He's at Carmel Prez. He's been a part of a lot of church planting. He comes in, and he offers this analogy. He says this. So those are in one corner. Imagine your church is a field, and God is in a bulldozer in one corner, and you're in the other corner with the keys to that bulldozer, and God says, can I have the keys to the bulldozer to do what I want with this field? Now, you are one of those people holding one of those keys. I, like, I'm Try Help me understand. What does that feel like? Like, why do you say yes to that image? Well, I think when Rick called and made his offer, and then the next week called and said, I have this person in the church, Mike Murphy, who will yeah. help find a pastor. And he himself had been involved in a lot of planting of churches all over the country. So he had a lot of resources. I think it was like, uh, this is God. Yeah. This is God. And, uh, and, and we believed that God was with us, but it was a, a visible sign that he was with us. That yeah. was the first miracle was Rick Hall, and the second miracle was Mike. And then it was the sitting down and talking about, well, how are we going to do this? What kind of a structure do we need to make sure that we solve the issues and we move forward in a positive, unified way. Yeah. And it was out of that meeting, basically, then that Rick went back and just developed the memorandum of understanding yeah. on how we would proceed. Yeah, so there was this memorandum of understanding. And the way I understand it, uh, but let's do a document that's written out. Like, if you have a problem and you want to leave, that's fine, uh, but let's do it peacefully. We're going to set aside, everyone is committing to setting aside their preferences to seeing the work of God play out in this place. And I, the way I hear the story, or I've heard the story is, there was a couple like elders and maybe the interim pastor up on that top level up there, if you imagine it, and the congregation of like 60 folks is sort of down on this level, and they're doing like a call and response commitment that they will take this seriously. I mean, is that sort of... That's correct. Is that That's correct. in the ballpark? That's in the ballpark. Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and I think in seeing and thinking about the difference that that memorandum of understanding made, there were two major issues in that. One was that we do set aside our personal preferences. Which is huge, right? Which so imagine huge. you've been yeah. in a place for a lot of years. I think the average person uh, after year one had been here, I think it was like 15 to 20 years. I mean, it was just like people that have invested in this place to say, okay, set aside your preferences. It's not about you. It's like, okay, 
All right, we're getting real here. Okay. All right, yeah? Okay, the other issue is we need to set a framework where there is respect for the pastor and his spiritual leadership. Which is cool. Yeah, uh, I like that. <laughs> this was before, this is even before we knew Tony. <laughs> but, uh, but it was, so in that memo, the pastor, pastor, and we, the congregation made the decision and called the pastor, which was Tony, yeah. uh, which was recommended by, by Mike Murphy. Uh, but even before he came, in that framework was that he would develop the vision for our replant, our vision for moving ahead, and, and be the spiritual leader in that process of the church, and the session would say, yeah, and support him, and we would all support giving up our personal preferences and realizing that this is not our church, but it's Christ's church. Yeah. And it's that unity of the spirit that Christ really wants here. Yeah. And I think, when I think about it, when I've thought about it the last couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe you should just give the sermon. <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. Okay. I, I think there was a point of obedience there on our part hmm. to the spirit. And then God said, okay, he has blessed us tremendously yeah. because of that obedience to his call and how that, how that happened. Yeah, and I just want to thank you for that. I, I do want to say, too, like, if you weren't a part of that original group and you meet one of those folks in this body, like, I, have, I am incredibly inspired by their example, and I feel like they set the foundation of what all of us were supposed to do. Their prayerful faithfulness, their willingness to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This isn't about my spirit as he leads. This is about God being glorified in this place, and we are going to follow the spirit as he leads. And I feel like it was just super inspiring to watch as you guys set that foundation for us. And I feel like we've been just bearing fruit. So I just want you to give Paul a round of applause, but also everyone else who was here at that point. Let me just set these real quick. I'll just leave that there. I'll take it later. Um, just so amazing to enter into this process for me. So for me, it was December 2017. We heard about this. It's about five months before. And, you know, we had heard about it. And we were like, we were in a great church up in Washington. We had this awesome setup. We had a super stable thing with community, income, all that. And then God's like, what about this? And, you know, we take community discernment pretty seriously as a family. So Jeannie and I, uh, we invited our friends together and we did these three different prayer nights just to say, all right, is God going to speak? Is God going to do? And at each of those times, there was one verse that just kind of kept coming up to the front and center. And it was this. It was Isaiah 43, 17. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Now a few things textually just to pay attention to. One, who is doing the action here? God. This isn't the Tony show or the genie show or the cool people that show up and put on good music and have great coffee. This is about God doing an awesome work. This is about God doing it and through that life coming, which is point two, right? Like this is going to be a new thing. 
This isn't going to be just, oh, we're just going to do the same old thing, right? This is going to be the new experience of God's life in a place that God actualizes, not us. Three, it's going to be in a place in a way that is unexpected, right? Where do you go to find a path? You don't go to the wilderness, right? Paths are in civilization. Where do you go to find a river? Not in the desert. And God is saying, hey, I am going to make a wellspring in a desert for the desert thirsty so that they will experience life, right? That's going to lead to new direction, paths, and water in the desert. It's going to lead to new direction and new life. And God is going to be just reflecting on life. Now, this week, I spent a fair amount of time just reflecting on, like, how incredible it is to look back. Because at that point, it just felt like vulnerability, right? Imagine Paul and the folks that were here, like, what's going to happen? Remember the bulldozer image. You know, this is our family being like, all right, we're going to take a step here, but we have no idea whether this thing is going to blow up in five months, And we'll have just moved our entire family, taken all these risks, and it's like, now what, God? The thing, I was trying to, like, I literally, my first draft of this had, like, it's like 15 pages, and I was like, this is not going to work. Because I just started going through and just thinking of all the stories of the ways that God has provided and shown up over the last two years. Just, like, unreal. So what I decided to do instead is just sort of talk about the last two years in the lens of provision, the ways that God has provided. And actually, this provision even started before July 16th. So Jeannie and I, our family came down and we wanted to do like a service so the people here could have a sense of like, this is kind of where we're going, right? It's going to be a little different, but this is kind of where we're going. And I thought, well, I'm going to bring a buddy down from San Jose. He's going to lead worship, give him a sense of like, this is kind of what we're hoping to do. And I'm feeling pretty good about this. I'm like, oh, this is going to Santa Cruz Mountains. A bee flies into his, that Thursday, my buddy is mountain biking in the Santa Cruz Mountains. A bee flies into his mouth. He flies over the handlebars, ends up with a concussion in the ER, calls me on Thursday afternoon. He's like, hey, guess what? I can't lead worship on Sunday. And I'm like, I could try and sing, you know. I'm freaking out. One hour later, I get a call from John and Amy Eldridge saying, hey, I heard you might need a worship leader. They had no idea about my friend. They had had no idea about the bee incident. Um, And I said, are you free on Sunday? (laughs) Yeah, we are. They show up. It goes awesome. I say, hey, would you guys be open to considering staying here for four months? Because I'm freaking out and there's no way. I mean, we could play a CD, but it's going to be pretty lame. (laughs) So they pray about it. They stay and write. Amy's the one standing here, John's standing there, and they've built this worship team. They have offered themselves in this place over the last two years, and it's just been unbelievable to see God providing through them. That same weekend, that same weekend, uh, the Monday before I was praying, and I was like, hey, you know what? I was just praying. God's like, oh, there's this couple that I knew when I was in Washington. It's like, give them a call. Let's see if they want to join this replant. On Sunday, they're living. It's like, hey, do you guys happen to have plans on Sunday? They're living in Nevada at that time. They're like, no, no, we're going backpacking. Well, I'm like, well, we might be doing this like church plant thing. I don't know. Your name came to mind. Would you be interested? 
That Sunday, they cancel their church, their backpacking trip, drive down here from Nevada. By that Sunday afternoon, they're like, we're in. This is Matt and Trish Kroll. Right? This is... There's a a family up in Washington that relocates their entire family to come here to live in an apartment, family of five, and Melinda Rossi, right, ends up being on staff and ends up being like one of the core leaders who leads this thing, this family of five with three young kids relocate their whole family to be a part of this thing that could blow up in two months. Time and time again, we have seen God provide, and that's not even getting to the start God provided a group of people here that were super soft-hearted. I remember that same Sunday, we invited some of our really discernment-gifted friends from San Jose to come down here, and we did this thing where we had everyone in the congregation, whatever barrier would get in their way, whatever preferences they thought might get them stuck, in, is anyone going to, and I invited us on the stage, and we were just like, all right, what's going to happen? Is anyone going to? And I invited them to put those burdens or barriers, things that might get in the way, at the foot of the cross and give them to Jesus. And everyone stands up and just starts walking forward. Everyone is just like, all right, we're in. The elders for that first bit, right, they're just like every day talking with people, helping them understand what God is trying to do here. So we start with this core group of leaders, this community that is soft-hearted, these elders that are ready to lay down their lives in this place, right? And then we start. One of the things that stood out when we first started, we were a group of, I think it was about one Sunday, about this time that summer, there were 60 people. I think the average age was about 70. I think there was one family under 40. There was a time in that summer where our kids were the only kids uh, in, the, in the kids' area, it was really easy. And, um, and I remember talking early on. I remember PJ had been on slides basically for years. And Greg, who was doing sound at that time, had been on sound for years. And I remember Greg coming up to me one day and just being like, you know, it'd be really nice if I could worship with my wife again. Really little announcement after service. I was like, months in. Uh, there was a Sunday, I just made a silly little announcement after service. I was like, hey, you know, are there a couple guys here that could help me move some stuff? Because there was a lot of stuff that had kind of accumulated over the years. And so these guys come up, and I'm thinking, no big deal. And then I see these two older ladies coming up to me, and I'm thinking, oh, man, did I do something? You know, oh, let's see. And they're just, they're weeping. And they're like, do you know how many years it has been since we could make an announcement to ask for people to come and help us carry things? I remember one Sunday, Amy's up here practicing, and Randy Sienna is biking by, and he's looking for a church. He hadn't found a church, and he hears Amy. He's like, ah, there's an angel singing, and the Holy Spirit says to him, he's not planning on coming. Stop. So he stops. He comes in, right? And then he ends up being central to all these building projects in this place. Now, I tell these stories because We've, over the last, that first year, right, we formed teams so that PJ could have a break on slides, right? We formed teams, Dan Biondi and Jackson, help with sound, right? We had people that could then allow Greg to transition off the team so he could worship with his wife. 
right? We see these people coming in so that people can experience afresh and anew the goodness and the life of God. In a desert. I remember as we sort of built through that first year and people were starting to come. But I remember mostly was the experience of hope. Right, these people that had taken these big risks, and now they're starting to see people respond. I remember going to one elder meeting, and you just like, where people were just smiling and excited because they had been praying for years to see new life and younger people and kids in this place. And I remember we got to that first Easter. This was our launch. And I remember we were standing at that door, and Paul W. Davis, right, son of Paul Davis, who's also been here 56 years, standing at that door. And I remember the smile on his face as this place was full, right? At that time, these doors were closed. And this place was just full. And it was the first time he's like, I can't remember in how long this place had been full on a Sunday morning. The only time he could remember when it had been full was for funerals, Watching the life of God bring hope. Which brings me to year two. So one of the things that's interesting is, right, like there's always this like summer dip, right? Everyone's on vacation. There's a little bit of anxiety. Like after year one, we got into summer and we're like, oh no. There's a little bit of anxiety. Like where did everyone go? And uh, we had no idea what to expect. The thing is, you know, year one had gone about as good as we could have imagined. In year two, right, then these floodgates open and all these people start coming. And the truth is, Melinda and I and Jeannie, the people who were trying to like manage it, we were just overwhelmed. It was this moment of like, God, we cannot do this. There are too many people here now for us to juggle this. You have to provide again. And we saw all these needs popping up, right? We didn't have someone to lead the youth. It was like, ah, who's going to do it? And then God brings Aaron and Claire, and they're like, you know what? I will lay down my life in this place for the youth. We had this need, right, and the welcome team. We want people to be welcomed as they come in. And then Matt and Molly, I think it was their second weekend, I was like, hey, would you do this? Would you just lead this whole thing? They're like, yeah, we'll do it. Right, we start having needs in the kids' side, right? And Trish is like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll lead the kids' ministry. Time and time again on the worship team and in every ministry here, God has provided the leaders who are willing to lay down their life. Incredible. Throughout this process too, right, one of the, one of the things is, you know, you kind of do need some money to like operate. You don't like to talk about it. But we fundraised at the beginning so that we could have something there so we weren't just like every week like passing a basket being like, please, you know, that doesn't go well. And uh, so we had some money. It just, we're totally like done on the fundraising side at this point. We've gone through all that money. But we have watched from the beginning as God has provided in unreal ways financially too. Some of it unexpected, some of it not. Like within the first year, we'd actually hit sustainability, like we had basically covered our operating budget independent of fundraising, which is like, 
if you're in this world, does not happen. Then we brought on a second staff, and within a few months, like, we're operating and be able to cover that. We write a grant, and Menlo Park Prez, who we've been partnering with a little bit, actually gives us, they, on their Easter fundraising side, they ended up giving us money to help cover our staffing going into this next season. Like, just unbelievable provision. Right, and the point of all these stories is then we get to like point of new direction, the part having baptisms. Right, the point of new direction, the point of an oasis in the desert wasn't just so that we could like have a big church and a good budget. The point is that we experience life and transformation. I remember on that Sunday watching people up here with a jerry-rigged baptismal like getting dunked, and it was just this awesome experience of new life happening in this place. Now, those are some stories that I tell. I sent an email out and a couple texts just like, hey, does anyone have some stories? And I got this, like, actual, this flood of stories. I'm going to read a bunch of them now. I'm not going to project them. I just invite you to listen to them. Maybe you relate to one of these people. Maybe you're going through a hard time. This is how people have experienced God in this place over the last year. And the truth is, I kind of want to major on this because your stories are the stories that I care about. I don't really care if this church gets big. That is not my goal. My goal is that God meets us as individuals in this place and we are transformed from the core out. Story one. God. I often worry about at Wellspring I've learned to let go and trust God. I often worry about what people think of me, trying to prove my worth. Here I have sensed God inviting me to trust him and in the process I have experienced a profound freedom to be me in his grace as he has shaped and formed me. I feel more free to use my gifts and offer myself to God and his people more than ever before. Story two. I'm so grateful for this precious Wellspring family. I've been blessed by people's prayers, friendship, and welcome embraces. Without the sincere fellowship and love of Jesus that is expressed here, I might easily retreat inward. Instead, I am joyfully reaching upward, praising God remembering his constant faithfulness and waiting in eager anticipation for what he has planned in this next season. Story three. Discovering Wellspring has been a huge answer to prayer for our family. Since moving to California years ago, I had personally felt somewhat adrift. At Wellspring, God has provided a community of people who love each other love God, and spur one another to greater discipleship and better love of other action of others at Wellspring. God has challenged me both directly and through the other action of others at Wellspring. Story four. Moving to Pacific Grove was a huge change. We left our entire support system to come here and build another one. I was terrified. One Sunday we came to Wellspring. My kids have never capitals, never walked into a classroom without a fuss. That day, they walked in and started praying 
without even giving me a hug goodbye. As I sat in the pew, I asked God to help calm my nerves. The music started. And for the first time since moving here, I felt safe. Wellspring was more than just an answered prayer for our family. God has transformed my understanding of walking in faith. Story four. From the first week, we were overwhelmed by the welcome of the people and really sensed God's spirit at work. Week in and week out at Wellspring, I see the beauty of God's people living together as a family. We enjoy life together, whether it's over muffins after church, at the beach or in someone's living room. We laugh together, worship together, contemplate God's truth together, and serve one another. I think the people have to speak to us. Wellspring is a place where we regularly take time to invite God to speak to us, receive his love, and learn from him. As we respond to the love God shows us, we are becoming a people marked by the faithful, self-giving love of Jesus, and it's such a joy to be a part of. They're going to keep coming. I had only been at Wellspring a few months when I joined a few guys to hang out and pray. I decided to be vulnerable and share how I often have a hard time believing that Jesus' promises are really for me. I felt foolish to share this, but I decided to be transparent. We prayed, and one of the guys prayed out of Psalm 139 that the presence of God is always with me. And I realized in that moment of prayer that I had a choice. The voice of the enemy was tempting me away, and God was inviting me to trust. That moment, it was crystal clear. I could choose to trust God. It was a simple act, yet profound. It changed me that day. Am I out of the woods? Only to the degree that I remember that truth and continue to build my life day by day on every word, promise, and principle that God brings before me, day by day. That is my first wellspring chapter. I am experiencing Christ's love here. It is here. It's here for you as well. When I was looking for a church that valued disciples, God pointed me to Wellspring in January of 2019. When I was looking for a church that valued discipleship and community, I had been going through a very personally chaotic time, and my initial experience at a worship night left me feeling welcomed and free to lean into God despite my situation. Immediately, I was embraced by a community that has continued to grow and develop together in an incredible and God-honoring way. I am so thankful for everything that God has done in my life through Wellspring. Another one. We sense God's presence here and are consistently challenged by the biblical teaching and like-minded community of Jesus' followers. Our young children are blessed by fellowship with other kids and loving caregivers who tell them about Jesus and show them his love. We are so grateful to be a part of this community and can't wait to see what God does through Wellspring in the years to come. Three more. God is growing me in my identity and clarity of calling. There's been a lot of slow, deep work And with that, a new confidence and security in God and his willingness to use me. As I've continued to take risks and step out, God has faithfully in his grace met me and allowed me to experience him in new ways. I am in great weakness. He has given me the opportunity to contribute what I have to his kingdom. I am incredibly grateful. 
I love this place and this people and the story God is unfolding here. Two more. We've been blessed by this beautiful, intentional community and have grown closer to God and each other as we've studied the scriptures in this church. God has blessed us in this time and place with much greater clarity about priorities, calling, vocation, and gifts. Most notably, over the last year, God has used time spent upstairs in the church annex on Tuesday, that's the back building, to transform my heart and mind until I finally accepted a call to long-term missions. Wellspring has helped me explore that call, understand its implications, and identify wise ways to faithfully respond. Last one. Looking back on the past year, I can only marvel at God's provision and faithfulness after such uncertainty last summer. God has so clearly answered my prayers in more ways than I could have expected. God revealed his faithfulness in not only providing a Christian community at Wellspring, but also wonderful friendships. Despite my doubting heart, God has been faithful me, faithful to me in this season of transition. God touching the tip of the iceberg there. God has been faithful. Isaiah 43, 17. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Many of you have experienced that new thing in your own life and you've experienced it in this place. And this morning, we just wanted to take some time to say, God, you are awesome. And we want to remember what you have done. We also want to take a moment this morning to look forward. Like this stage, we are mid-process. And we're not done. Going forward, um, I've been thinking about this week, what God has done and where we're going. One of the things that came out recently was a a Barna survey about sort of post-Christian cities. If you were here last week, Aaron talked about it a little bit. So Barna, post-Christian, uh, I mean, whatever, you can sort of frame it however you want. There's a lot of criteria he uses, but basically saying there's not tons and tons of Christians here that go to church. Uh, maybe one way to say it. So Monterey Salinas is 21, but that means we are number five on the West Coast. We're ahead of Portland. We are more post-Christian than L.A. We are more post-Christian than Sacramento. What that means is when you go to work, you go to the grocery store, you hang out with friends, you go to a bar, you go to a coffee shop, the good shit it means to follow Jesus. And around you do not agree with what you think, feel, what you think it means to follow Jesus. And the question is, what do we do about that if we want to practice the way of Jesus in everyday life? So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is about Daniel, the book of Daniel, and particularly Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, so you have this, these guys, and if you think about it, if you were in sort of, I don't know, I didn't grow up going to, you know, kids' church, but you probably heard it for many years if you did. Right, so Daniel, he's like, I'm not going to eat that food, you know. I'll do whatever, but I'm not going to eat that food, right, Daniel too. And we look at him and I'm like, whoa, Daniel's inspiring. He's in exile, and he's like not conforming to the culture around him. He's like, no, I'm going to be faithful to God, right? Because in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right, there's basic eating restrictions that he's supposed to follow, right? And then it ramps up a little bit, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we're not going to worship that. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, you're going to the fire and the lions and all this, right? And they're like, we're good, you know. They camp out with the fire and the lions and whatever, and they make it through. And we look at those stories, and we're like, whoa, that's inspiring. 
I'd like to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When I look at those stories, what I think about is, how do you form faith that produces Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? People that in exile, in a post, how do we become the kind of community that produces people that in exile, in a post-Christian context, not only sort of survive by grabbing by the tips of our fingertails, but we actually, fingertips, not tails, But we actually thrive. We actually become embodiments, living billboards, witnesses of the goodness of God in a cultural context that doesn't necessarily support our faith. So if you look at the big old story, what you see is this. Exile happens, basically uh, Jerusalem is surrounded in 605 B.C., And then in 597, it's destroyed, right? And so then leads this exile. All these people go out to Babylon, right? Where you end up finding uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's interesting, though, just before exile, there's this profound renewal that happens in Israel under the reign of Josiah. So Josiah is this king that rules for 31 years, and this is the context in which Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are raised. This is where they are formed. This is where they become the kind of people that they are able to do what they do in the book of Daniel. Okay? It's like, and what his rule is like. Let me read it. He's king for 31 years. There's a couple verses that outline who he's like and what his rule is like. Let me read a couple. This is 2 Kings 22.2. It says this, He, Josiah, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not aside to the right or to the left, right? So you have all these bad kings that come before Josiah that are just worshiping all kinds of people. They're not taking the scripture seriously. They're just sort of all over the place. Josiah comes in. He's like, this is where God is calling us. This is where we're going. I'm not going to the right. I'm not going to the left. I'm going to go and I'm going to follow God as he reveals himself in these scriptures, right? Now again, 2 Kings 23, 25. This is again, before him, Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, the Lord, or according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him, right? So you have this massive renewal that happens in Israel. Josiah comes in, he seeks God and creates this culture of these people that are taking God seriously, which then forms these people that go into exile that are doing some amazing things in a setting that doesn't encourage their faith. Let's look at four things that happen under Josiah's reign. The first is this. There is a refocus on things. So Josiah, he's doing some temple remodeling, and he refines uh, the book of the law, which leads to this massive shift in the culture, right? Because they're like, oh my gosh, All these things we were supposed to be doing that we didn't do because we disconnected from these scriptures, we lost them, right? They're a dusty book or scroll lost in some cupboard in the temple, and they refocus on the scriptures. Second, what happens is Josiah and then the culture with him, in response, engages in this profound act of repentance. I think I have the scripture here. It's a... 2 Kings, Kings 22.19, so Josiah repents in response to the scriptures and then the community becomes this repentant community that's turning towards God. 
Three, not only do they repent, they also commit. They actually make these covenants with God to say, all right, God, this is where we're going. This is what they, how it's described in 2 Kings. They make a covenant with God to walk after the Lord, keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And this is the most important part. What follows next? This. And all the people joined in the covenant. They're repentant. Have Josiah rediscovers the scriptures. They rediscover, they refocus on the scriptures. They're repentant and they're people that are making commitments to focus on God and prioritize how he reveals himself in the scriptures to them, which then leads to the fourth point. It all becomes about God alone. There's like an entire chapter in 2 Kings about how they got rid of all the idols, all the things that were God replacements in their culture. They kick them to the side. And say, we are only going to worship God alone in this place. Okay? Now, one way to sort of frame this is in terms of centered set. I think it might be a helpful sort of cross-cultural thing. So, centered set is a frame we use all the time here. Uh, So, I'll just sort of do a brief description of that. And then I'll frame Josiah's reforms in terms of it. Centered set. Imagine God and his kingdom are at the middle. And the question is not... Uh, you know, whether you think the right thing or do the right thing necessarily. The point is, is your life and your heart moving towards God and his kingdom? Are you taking steps to align your heart and life more and more with that kingdom? Are you moving towards? Or are you going in other directions? Right? So Josiah comes into a cultural moment where there's all these kings saying, hey, do this, do this. They have tons of different centers. And people are like, oh, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. And what happens is, in this moment, during this reform, our lives, according to, all right, God and his kingdom are the priority, and what we're going to do is we're going to reorient our lives according to the scriptures that we just found, and we're going to prioritize God, and we're going to seek him. And if we go off in this direction, what are we going to do? We're going to repent. What does that mean? We're going to turn course and just refocus on God and his kingdom. And we're going to make commitments. Commitments to say, all right, God, What are you and how do I follow you in these days? And I'm going to commit to doing that. That is the culture that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are raised. So that when Daniel gets into exile and they say, eat this food, he said, no, no, no. I know the scriptures. I know what it looks like to prioritize God in my life. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told to bow before this God and everyone else is, they're like, no, no. I grew up under the reign of Josiah, right? We do not worship other gods. God and God alone are at the center, and we plan our lives despite the risk around God and his kingdom. We try and prioritize him. We cast aside all other idols. So when I look forward into these next few years, I want to create a community. I want us to create a community where we are forming children, youth, and ourselves into the kind of people, become the kind of people, not only survive by clinging on by our fingertips, but become the kind of people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, that not only survive, but thrive in a place that is not necessarily supporting and scaffolding our faith. That takes a few things. That takes us really refocusing on the scriptures. I think for some of us, 
right? Our Bibles are just like they were in the temple. They're like gathering dust on some bookshelf. Like it means reprioritizing that personally. Saying whether this is boring or exciting, whether this feels good or not, I'm going to be a person who centers my life on the scriptures because the scriptures reveal God in his kingdom. I guess I would ask you right now, like, are the scriptures that for you? Because I think if we want to go into this next season, that's what it's going to take. Corporately and individually. Two, I think this is, we're going to have to be a people that are willing to repent and turn. I am confident that none of us does centered set perfectly. None of us always is like right on, you know, like maybe there's a couple holy people in the room. I am not one of them. Like, I constantly have to be a person who is repenting and returning and reprioritizing God and his kingdom in my life. If we want to be a people who thrive in a post-Christian environment, we have to be a people, and I think we have to turn and reprioritize God. We also have to be a people, and I think we have to be a people that are willing to make commitments, create habits and rhythms and practices that shape us. We can't be a people that are like, oh, I'll go to church this Sunday, or... Ah, I'll do this one thing every so often. We have to be a people that really prioritize these things so that we can be shaped and deformed into Jesus' image. It can't be like a one-off commitment, right? It's like, ah, Jesus, you are number one and we're going to commit to following you. So I guess I just wonder for us, as individuals, where are we at with that stuff? Because I think as we move forward, these are going to be key points Are we willing to center on the scriptures, be a repentant people, and people that are willing to make commitments to God alone that we would worship him? Now, there's a couple like bigger picture practices that we'll implement in the the weeks uh, and months to come. The first is this, in in August, we're going to launch a number of well communities. These are groups of 10 to 12 people that will meet in homes throughout the peninsula, mostly in PG, but there'll also be one in Seaside marina area. These, we are just of the opinion and of the conviction that you really cannot thrive in this environment without people supporting you and bearing, which is simply way of Two, we're going to launch this thing called the ABLE Project, which is simply way of saying, hey, we want to create a rhythms and practices that shape us. So we're going to do a sermon series in the fall, but we're also going to, we've developed these podcasts and PDFs that are going to help us learn the practices of Jesus. So ABLE is a one way of saying, is our sort of acronym, A stands for attend, right? And we've created different practices that flow out of attending, Sabbath, healing, prayer, worship, and then we're creating ways that we can respond in community and talk about it. B is bless, blessing people inside and outside the church, right? And coming up with different practices that we can lean into. Enemy love, generosity, justice, being a faithful presence. L is learn, particularly in the scriptures, but specifically scripture study. And then how does our story fill in and partner with the unfolding story of God? And our role in that story, learning about our gifts and how they express in the ongoing story of God. And then E is eat. So this is eating with people inside and outside the church in order to build community and be embody the witness of God in the world, right? Hospitality, community, communion, celebration. So we're going to tease these out. We will make it clearer. This is just sort of my first step at saying this is coming. That if we want to be a people that thrive in a post-Christian environment, we have that anchor us.
have ribbits, rhythms, habits, and practices that anchor us. Next, what we're going to do is we're going to have different classes. So starting in the fall, we're going to lean into topics that are a little bit more controversial, but I think actually a lot of us are hungering to explore. We're going to lean into uh, sort of an ethic on sexuality that's presented in the scriptures so that we can be a people in this culture and in this context where we're learning what do the scriptures have to say about this. We're going to have a, a class on second, li- second half of life discipleship. Right? We live in an environment where a lot of folks are in retirement or nearing it. What does it look like to practice the way of Jesus when you're not working full time? I think if we're going to thrive in this place, we need to figure out ways to solve that question. And lastly, we're going to lean into what is replant number two look like? So we have already met with three different churches. I'm currently talking and working with a church down in Bakersfield. Uh, There are churches out there that are hungering to experience what we have experienced. And we're just going to kind of be open-handed and we're going to be ready when God says, all right, Here's another church. We're going to figure out how do we support and be a part of launching another opportunity for a church to experience the life-giving presence of God that we have seen. Maybe it's in a year, maybe it's in five. I don't know, but we want to be open-handed and ready. That is where we're going over the next few years, specifically over the next six months. We can t- we'll talk about it more. I want to invite the worship team back up here. We're going to enter back into worship You know, really, this is a time, while I have looked forward, this is primarily a time to look back. You know, how has God met you in this place? How have you seen the goodness of God in this place? I think it's also a time as we look forward to figure out, all right, is Jesus really the king of my heart? And as we enter into these songs, that's my prayer, that Jesus would become the center become the one who shapes and orients us going forward. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are just grateful for your goodness to us. We are grateful for the ways you have shown up. We are grateful for the ways that you have blessed us. We are grateful for the ways you have brought life and hope and energy. God, we pray that you would sustain us as we move forward. You would equip us. You would make us the kind of people that shine brightly. You would make us the kind of people that are salty. You would make us the kind of people that are in love with you. Our lives. God, come speak. May our, we are lay our lives at your feet. God, would you be the king of our heart? Would you be our vision?